Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Black, Bald and Kinky. For those of you that don't know, my name is Sebastian. Hi, how are you? Welcome to another episode. So, it's Black History Month and for the whole of this month we've been doing episodes where we've been throwing back to where we used to be called the front room. And for those of you that don't know, the front room is for best. The front room is a place where we recommend different forms of media, be that social media or traditional media that will bring you a little bit more joy. Again, it's really weird saying that. Again, it's been a while. So, a um, couple of things before we start the new episode of the throwback. Um, there was a previous guest on the podcast. Her name is Faida, and she runs a platform on YouTube called Freedom Is Mine. Now, Faida also has gone out and published a book for Freedom in Mind and since it is Black History Month I think it's only right that I promote that you go and get this book so that you can learn all about the diaspora of black people that is available around the world you know it's really nice to see a friend like just elevating their platform every opportunity they get so once again that's Freedom is Mine on YouTube her name is Faida, and the book is available in all good booksellers, including Amazon. Okay, so now it's time to throw back. And we're going to go back, back into time. We're going to go back to a guy called Joe Von Hutch in an episode called The First Black Expat. Now, Joe is an American who lives in Berlin. He used to live in London. Um, he's also a really good friend. He was a creator of a magazine called Daddy back in the day. He's now not doing Daddy magazine, but he's started, well, started, restarted his stand-up career after COVID. So this month was the first kind of three or four gigs that he's had back in Berlin. So if you are a Berlin listener, Make sure that you check out Jovan Hunch when you every time you see him in these streets, give him the love that he deserves. And also, Joe did one of my favorite episodes, so I want to throw back to him and let you reintroduce you, introduce you to Jovan Hunch, the first black expat. I know it's been some time, but there's been something on my mind. You see, I haven't seen the same since a cold November day. You said we needed space, but all we found was an empty place. And the only thing I learned is that I need you desperately. So here I am, and can you please tell me, oh, where do broken hearts go? Can they find their way home? Back to the open arms of a love that's waiting there. And if somebody loves you, one day I will love you I look in your eyes And I know that you still care for me Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new full episode of the Front Room Podcast 
Yes, I am back, I am black, and I am resplendent today. For those of you that don't know, why don't you know? The Front Room is for best. The Front Room is a place where we recommend different forms of media, be that social media, traditional media, something that will bring you just a little bit more joy. And let's face it, this lockdown 2.0 motherfucking business means that you're going to need... I say you're going to need some joy. Woo! Did you like my intro song? A little bit of classic Whitney. If you don't know, it's October. Or the week that October will start in, because I'm a little bit early. A.K.A. Also known as Black History Month. Let no man, child, motherfucker... Tell you that it's multicultural month, it's immigrant month, whatever they try to rename it. This, this is Black History Month. Get right, get it tight. Yeah, let's start as we mean to go on, people. And for the rest of this month, I plan to have a guest each week. Someone that is not only black, hey, but is doing things, doing something special, doing something different, be it an activist, someone that's creative, someone that is challenging the spectrum in a different way. I'm also going to have someone that will probably challenge me because they're so damn rude, come to the podcast for the first time. But hey, you're just going to have to wait and experience them in their full force. Probably with a drink in their hand and a song in their heart. Anyway, so also, over the October, it's not just going to be men on the podcast for the first time. We're also getting some black girls up in here. I've got... <laughs> my sister circle is coming through, and I know you're going to love it. I know you're going to love it. So let's start by saying the first song that we did today was a little bit of Whitney. A little bit of Whitney, just a little bit, yeah? A little bit of Whitney Houston, Where the Broke Her Hearts Go. I didn't do the second verse, which is actually my favourite verse out of that song. But, you know, I wanted to start while I was behind. Start while I was behind. I did start while I was behind. It's like starting off has been. But, yes, a little bit of Whitney. And today, today, I have a special guest, so we're going to get right into... All that has happened this week. This is this week's Ratchet and Righteous. I know something about love. You gotta want it bad. If that mask got into your blood. Go out and get in. If you want it to be. The very part of you. Makes you want to believe. Here's a thing to do. Tell him that you're never gonna leave him. Tell him that you're never gonna love him. Tell him, tell him, tell him, tell him right now. Do, 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 do. <laughs> okay, so now it's time for me to finally introduce my next guest for the podcast. His name is Joe Von Hotch. Now, Joe is a lawyer, an activist, a comedian, a publisher. He is so many different things and he also happens to be one of the few clients that I've had through personal training 
that's actually transitioned into a really, really good friend. He now lives in Berlin with his husband. And it's one of those things where when I started the podcast, I made a list of people that I wanted to speak to in like all different spectrums. And then I made a list of all the different friends that lived in different places that I didn't speak to enough. And I was going to invite them on the podcast for any reason I could find. However, there is a really good reason why I'm inviting Joe onto this podcast. And I want you all to fall in love with him and feel his energy and feel his soul in the way that only a friend can. He is a brother. He is a fighter. He is... Do you know what, right? Joe is that black queen that you want to have in your circle of friends when shit goes down at a club. He's not the ratchet one. He's not the one that will fight. But when the shit goes down and you need someone to back you up and clear up the shit that's happened, especially when the police come in, that's what you want Joe in your circle of friends. Yeah? Cool. So this is Joe Von Hotch. Hi everybody, I have a guest this week. His name is Joe, Joe Van Hutch. Yes. Wave and say hello, people. Wave and say hello. So um Joe has been a friend for about four years now. Is it four or five? God, it's such a long time. Even it could be about five. Yeah. So we we were matched because you came into the gym I work in and you were so sassy to the salesperson that the person was like I am not giving them to any other PT. Only you can handle this black bitch. <laughs> Take him, he's yours. Do it as you were. And I was just like, eh? <laughs> I want results. Yeah. I want results. That's not just what you wanted as well. You wanted to look better than your friends. I was like, okay. I'm oh, that's yeah, true. I know, I know, yeah, sure, we can work with it. Yeah. It's like, this, these are the boundaries I can work with. So you were a client. You were a Still my favourite client ever. I should actually say that out loud, yeah, but you know. Others <laughs> <laughs> come, others go, yeah. Some of them I'll never speak to again. Yeah, you know who you be. Right. So, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Now, the reason why I brought you on, yeah, is two things, yeah. Not just over the last period of time, your activism, but in general, because I know you, I know this is not something new, yeah. I know this is... The, a lifestyle, not a lifestyle choice, yeah? Right. People have been made, yeah? I know this is who you are fundamentally, but I want also, because you're a black person that lives in a, another European country and you're American, you have a different take on many things. So mm-hmm. I just wanted people to hear your side of the story and hear your experience, yeah? Thank you. Okay. Did you get my list of questions? I did, I did. I can pull them up. I got them up here on my phone. Well, we've done that first one. So, your Joyful Noise song. My what? Joyful Noise song. So, you know, I... You know what that means, right? Because you, you're church enough to know that. Yeah, so it means that not everybody can sing in church. We know this. Some people sing, some people make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Yeah? What song... <laughs> 
<laughs> is it that makes you make a joyful noise no matter whether you're on key, whether you're off key, whatever? Uh, Crystal Waters Gypsy Woman. Nonstop, on repeat, all the time, every morning. She wakes up early every morning just to get her head. Yeah, I do that every morning. Shower, <laughs> screaming to the neighbors. <laughs> they know. Okay, so this is another reason why you came on this podcast because officially that is the best of choice that we've had so far. Yeah, <laughs> a long, long way. Yeah, other people coming on afterwards. There's the standards we set now. I'm sorry. Jetsy Wobber by Crystal Waters. I am. I'm gonna find. I'm gonna put you on the Instagram page. I'm gonna find there was an MTV thing recently with Crystal Waters and CC Peniston singing live. So I'm gonna find the video that I'm putting on so that everybody knows exactly who you're talking about. Yeah? yeah, cool. So as a gay, we have loads of different kind of divas that we're into. We have our slow jam divas, we have our ballad divas, we have our pop divas. So who's your diva and why? So I'ma just put all of my business out there right before lockdown. One of the last concerts I went to was Cher. Y'all young children may not know who Cher is. Cher is still alive. Don't believe that hashtag from a few years ago. Cher is fine. Share 70 plus years old, fishnet, dock strap basically, stomping around that stage, getting lifted around. Share. I saw Share in concert. I paid to see it. Yes, Share. <laughs> yeah, you know, right? I live for Share, right? My favorite Share era is Turn Back Time era with the fishnet stockings, the big hair, yeah, the dock strap on, yeah. And she was wearing all of that. She was bringing all she was of straddling a giant phallic symbol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was on a, the big cell shit kind of. And she was just like, I give no fucks. Yeah. <laughs> I do what I fucking want. Like, yeah. And that was also, was that before or after she was then shared the actress with that me struck her? Yeah, it was around the same time. It was, same she, time. It was, so it was she like was the eight. Like, here, here's this. Here's me winning Oscars. I'm gonna turn up looking like a duck, and you're gonna say nothing about it. Also, shares for those of you that don't know, if you're creative or you're into drag queens, share is fundamentally the basis for every drag queen you've ever seen because the Bob Mackie era to share with the big feathers and the big hair and the bowers and the reveals that is basically your drag queen looks from now until eternity. Yes, cool. <laughs> Go learn your history, people. Go learn your history. All right, cool. You're doing really well here. I'm quite sorry. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I should have died anyway. Yeah. Just so people know how to, when they're talking to you, when, it, when you introduce yourself, what are your pronouns? Yes, so I uh, am he, him, um, with a little asterisk of when I'm with my friends, that can easily switch into a he, she, she, her. Um, I'm a cis man, but I play with gender and believe um, there's nothing wrong with femininity. So, um, yeah, he, him, but also, cool. you know, he likes um, to switch it up. We've already talked about that you have to earn the right to call a black man he, she. So, <laughs> yeah, that's when I'm comfortable. <laughs> yeah. And after you earn the right to call me her, she, and not him. Okay, cool. Right, and now let's get into something a little more serious. I'm going to go back to the media drain a bit, but how was your lockdown experience? Well, how was your first 
lockdown experience. Because <laughs> now that we seem to be going into a second one, and the world is falling apart, you remember they see you always say how low, how bad can this get? And then Trump turns up your TV and you realize it could get a lot worse. So yeah. how was your lockdown experience? The first uh, I mean, I'll put it this way. So right before lockdown was Berlin, uh, first lockdown was Berlin, it was Berlinale. I got to be out seeing people. Um, really good friend of mine, Sean J. Wright, was DJing, got to see him DJ. So, like, I got to go out with a bang, <laughs> if you will. Like, I got to enjoy life to the fullest before it all got taken away from me. Because in March, I wasn't playing around. Like, I, I'm a freelancer, so I just wrote the people I was working with. I was like, I will not be coming into anyone's office. Uh, just because I saw it happening. So I didn't wait. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm Black. I'm from America. We have seen... <laughs> what you can do to community. So I just, um, yeah, I really, I went onto lockdown earlier than most people I know, um, because also from comedy, I was doing shows and then uh, the comedians had to start locking their shows down. So um, I'd say about like a week before we had to, I was locked up tight at home. Um, and then, yeah, it was hard because, you know, didn't know where it was going to end, how it was going to go. So then I just became a desperate housewife. <laughs> like I was just, at that store, seven o'clock in the morning, as soon as it opened to get my groceries so I didn't have to fight nobody. Okay. Um, and then I was just at home cooking because that's what I know how to do. That's, I was raised mostly by my grandmother. Um, she, food is love, love is food. So I was just learn, you know, channeling all of my Lucille Thomas vibes. Um, channeling them all out. Um, yeah, so that was like March, April. Things started to open up in Berlin in May. I said, not for me. <laughs> um, I stayed home. People started going out on the streets fighting for Black lives. I applauded from my balcony. I was up there cheering them, go on in those streets, go out. Um, I really didn't become social until like August. Okay. And then um, what, what was the level of social? Because social now is, is a different animal. Yeah, yeah, so social for me means being outdoors seeing people. You won't see me in anybody's house. Nobody's coming into this house. Mm -hmm. I got questions for my man. When, where you been? Who you been with? So, <laughs> I, no house. Don't invite me over. Um, but yeah, outdoor this, stuff. This is the thing, right? These people think you're joking, but I know you're the kind of black bitch that will have that square by the door and that you have to stand on. Yeah, and you'll be like, hmm, where have you been? Who have yeah. you seen? What have you touched? Here is some liquid. So take off your clothes, put them in a bag. Do not move any further. Yeah, I mean, I just because so I was in Berlin, so we should put it that way. My body was in Berlin during lockdown, but my brain was in New York where I'm from. So I was okay. reading everything happening um, in New York. I come from New York, 25,000 people died in New York alone, New York City. I think New York State is over 30,000 people. I think the states just hit 200,000 dead. So, you know, I'm in Berlin and all these Berliners are like, oh, it's fine. And I'm like, if you don't get away from me on the street, like, you gotta get six feet away from me. Don't be jogging up behind me. Like, I just, it was weird because I would go outside and everyone here was just like completely fine. And I'm like, I'm, and it's not just the number of people who died. It's, you know, we know it's mostly affecting black and brown people. So I'm seeing people who look like my uncle. I'm seeing people who look like my auntie. 
I'm seeing them, seeing myself completely freaked out. So you're right, the first lockdown, we about to go into a second lockdown. Um, it's just, yeah, you just, you ha I have to do what's comfortable for me, which is staying at home. See, I, you know how I get through lockdown? I like to think this is Jesus's way of telling white people what it feels like to be black. Yeah? <laughs> when you go into a shop, yeah, and you're watched for where you go, yeah, that's a new experience yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah. they're monitored about where they're going. That's a new experience for them. When right. they're monitored about who's going into your house, that's a new experience for them. When their neighbors are watching them and then calling the police yeah. to them when they're having one little party and there's four of them in the room together, right. that's a whole new experience for them. Sorry, we've been doing this since the 1980s. <laughs> on public transit, right? Getting on public transit, the people looking at you, the move in, yeah. not one to you're not going to sit next to me. Oh, no. Fuck yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That was just like, well, wow. uh, it's so hard to do this. Uh, why is everybody watching me? Why can't I go where I want to? Why can't I do what I like to do? Well, you know, living black. <laughs> this is what you're doing. Yeah. You're living like a black person. Welcome to my world. It doesn't feel yeah. nice, is it? No, cool. Now, add on top of that, a healthy dose of racism, yeah? Mm. And the lack of opportunity for unconscious bias, which is very conscious, and you know all about your bias, because that's why you existed. But yeah. Because it's funny um, how that unconscious bias only come, doesn't come out around us when we're in the room, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they know how to, there's that little filter that says, oh no, there's black, keep that, the unconscious bias is only when we're not in the room. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> When you get to speak, somehow you can turn it on and off, but it's unconscious. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I need to go back and ask you what for, so over this period of time, what websites, what films, what TV shows, any media at all that has made it just a little bit easier to survive? Ooh, well, I can tell you what I just watched. Um, I just finished watching I May Destroy You um, from Michaela Cole. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right. So, <laughs> so, I love that show. Yeah. But as a black gay man, there's issues with that show. Yeah. There are some serious issues. And as a black gay man, that is, how can I put it? <sighs> Openly sexual. There's some issues with that show. Like, I love the show up until Kwame, like the first, I know it sounds really bad, but when Kwame's incident happens, because I don't want to explain it for people yeah. who haven't watched it, yeah? When his incident happened, I know the person that was acting in that part, and he came in the room, I was like, this is not gonna go well. <laughs> <laughs> This is not going to go well, yeah? So, <laughs> I was like, okay, like, life art, imitating each other a little bit, like, because you're a prick. But anyway, and then, but obviously he's an actor, he's doing his job, he's reflecting the situation, but the situation itself, the different levels of talking about consent in one show, the fact that you got a black experience that wasn't, monolithic. I think people talked about it and we're talking about, oh, these characters are not just black people, they're human beings, like... Pretty black. <laughs> Someone actually Pretty wrote that down and printed it, you know? Like, you actually write that down and printed it. I'm just like, well, how many fingers can you spin on today? Like, literally. But, 
Yeah, love that show. Anything else? I was gonna say, so just finished watching that. Um, I can, um, so watching media. Uh, Netflix, I watched Russian Doll. Like, I, I've been watching like a bunch of random things. So, it was did you just make been, it through Russian Doll? I, the first episode, first season, or first okay, I got about four episodes in and then it just, I gave up. Like, <laughs> I know. Very, 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 very fine black man who shows up like episode six. Okay, that's a reason to watch. Because that's why I was watching Legendary. That was the only reason I was watching Legendary. He's black and he's queer. So you push through. You I, get to him. I'll, I'll channel. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I get through to it. So Russian Doll. I may destroy you. Anything yeah. else? Um, and then yeah, so I uh, like I locked myself in a room for four weeks and just read. Um, so I was able to read a bunch of books I've been wanting to read for a long time. I was able to finally read some Audrey Lord, Sister Outsider. Okay. Uh, I'm able to read Zora Neale Hurston. Their eyes were watching God. Um, but also I read Trevor Noah's autobiography. Uh, I think it's Born a Crime. Um, yeah, so I just locked myself in a room with books and was just like going through those. See, this is okay. We're gonna we'll list these off and put them on, yeah. But when you say Audrey Lords, I'm like, I'm here for this, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. And because, so especially for me being a black queer person living in Berlin, it's a city that she spent time in. Um, also, yeah, being in an interracial relationship, she writes about that, being a socialist, you know. There's lots of like my politics and she's originally from New York. So lots of things I kind of knew, but hadn't really read in her words yet up until this summer. So okay. I've seen it from a different perspective. So at the moment, we have a book group on the podcast and the book that we're reading at the moment is The Ethical Slut. Yes. Yeah. Because that was, I got a group of different books given to me for my birthday because I wanted something that was non-black and non-science fiction because I'm going through a whole list of them by myself. So I was like, mm -hmm. you buy me books. And my mate Christian was just like, here, this is why you're single. And he gave me this book and I was just like, okay. So basically what you're saying is that I'm waiting for an open relationship or I need to be more flexible with how I to use my terms and definitions. That's cool. I can handle that. But I like the fact that it gives you homework. You know, like yeah. 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 So I like a project. So we're enjoying that. But okay, we got the books. We got the Netflix sorted out. So we got something to watch at home. What about what you Instagramming pages like that? Anything stupid or foolish? Ooh. Instagram. Um, I mean, I'm one of these people. I was watching an uh, Instagram page of Leslie Jordan. You know, this little, he was on Will and Grace. <laughs> we love Leslie Jordan. One of my favorite things is there's a YouTube, on YouTube, there's a like montage of Leslie Jordan and Karen. Okay. Because <laughs> every time he comes on, they, the little comebacks that they do, I was like, I'm dying. No, see, this is the thing about Will and Grace. Everybody knows that Will and Grace were the worst characters in that whole show. Useless. Like, <laughs> <Mine's> useless. <laughs> useless. Even when they rebooted it, it was just like, why are you here? Anyway, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I was 
he definitely got me through a lot of the lockdown just because he was like weird and himself and you knew he was going crazy in that house with his mama <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't even know if mama was still real at that point <laughs> <laughs> when i jumped onto it yeah i just saw him he was lying on the bed and he literally just pulled the cover over his head and I was just like, what did this bitch do? And then he starts talking and you're just gone. Like, it's one of the best Instagram pages by a long way. Yeah. That and, yeah, I'm going to have to add that on. Thank you very much. Okay, so we've done the nice stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this is the year, our Lord, 2020, which hasn't been a very good year for most people. Yeah. As I said earlier, this is the year that we proved that the old black people say that we are living in the last days and that Sodom and Gamora, hey, I've been a member for a while, is coming and that hell and high fire, whatever old black people like to say, is coming to our door. We have Trump, we have the ginger one, we have fires in San Francisco so that the sky is orange, we have lockdown, yeah, but you're gay, you're black, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're living in a completely different country, yeah? Completely different. Now, when you emigrated, it was a different kind of space, yeah. Right? Oh, these people tricked me. These people tricked me. Oh, I showed up September 2017. It was that nice, friendly Germany, you know, just remembering the Holocaust and trying to, you know, put on a good face. I got here three weeks later, they voted in the far right party as the largest opposition party. Like literally, I got a good three weeks. Alternative for Deutschland, alternative for Germany. Yeah. They like about, so some media reports call them the third biggest party, but the two biggest parties are in government. So they are the largest opposition party, the far right. Okay. So you have a coalition out there, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's this coalition of the CDU and the SPD. Um, so they're in government. And so the largest opposition party is the far right. And the large opposition. So when I say the far right, I mean, yeah, Holocaust deniers, um, anti-gay, anti-immigrant. Um, and then I showed up as a black gay immigrant in this country. And I had to talk to people who were like, oh, the far right won because the government wasn't conservative enough. I said, I am a black gay immigrant. How much more conservative does it need to be? <laughs> but he, you're looking at it. I am, I am what they don't want here. It's me. <laughs> well, you get a little leeway because you're American, yeah? Right, right. So they're either going to love you even more or they're going to hate you completely just because you can open your mouth with the accent. But Open my mouth. And I've been told, why don't you go back to where you come So I started getting vocal about things here and people hear my accent. So I speak German, but, you know, I have my accent. They yeah. hear that I'm not a native German speaker. And I've literally been told on the street, why, why don't you, you sound like you're from America. America's got problems. Why don't you go back to where you come from? I said, boo, boo I live around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I live around the corner. These problems here affect me right here where I am. Yes, there are problems over there. We're, we're, we're getting to those. But y'all got some problems here too. And the problem with living here is, you know, we call them like white Germans or bio Germans don't want to acknowledge the issues um, because they really, I think the problem is they've been taught that all the bad things happen in the past. 
either Nazis or East Germany. That was all in the past. And so it this is English like that. This is mm -hmm. part over here. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about slavery, yeah. No, 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 no. That was a different time. You can't use the same standards of nowadays to uh, on that time because it's a different time. It's a different era. When we talk about pulling down statues, when we talk about the fact that Churchill was a white supremacist, when we talk about the fact that I, I have a new standards. I don't argue with them anymore. I call it the rule of Jew. I say, replace the black person in this picture, or me, yeah, for a Jewish person talking about Nazis. And if you can still carry on the conversation, then we're good to go, yeah? Mm -hmm. If you can't, then this conversation ends, and you understand that you're a racist, because I'm not here for this. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's taken me a long while to just say, you know what? This conversation that we're having right now actually is meaningless and is a distraction. Yeah. So I reached the, a similar point. I think when I first got here, I was trying to have those conversations with people to persuade them to change their minds. Um, I really thought that because of certain people I knew and certain relationships that I had, I was capable of doing that. Wrong. Wrong. Like, I just can't. And it was a really painful process for me to learn that, that when it comes to racism, that is so deeply embedded in people that they don't want to change. So that's okay. Like you said, distraction. I'm no longer wasting my time with that. I'm just going to talk to my people. Hey, people, my people, what are the things that we need to know? What are the things that we need to be sharing with each other to get through this? Because I'm, I'm done. You know, I spent, I guess, 30 years of my life trying to be that Negro right? Talking to the racist to change their mind, trying to prove myself to something. Nope. I've proven myself. I've spoken enough. I've written enough. Now I'm just talking to my people, my community. Um, because yeah, there's really no, no other use of my time. Someone said to me that it's like a flower. You have to decide whether you're being buried or planted. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like you're being buried, then there's a different emotion. But if you feel like you're being planted and all this shit's coming on top of you, you still have room to grow through it. Yeah? Yeah. At the end of the day, same analogy, the, the racism in both of the countries that we're in is so embedded in the culture yeah, that every single person has grown up in a racist country. Yeah? And what has happened is they've over time they've been allowed to separate themselves from the incident that caused the initial racism yeah to the actual world that we live in now and then they can't see how one is still linked to the other and there's still consequences from the original incident and that'd be funny the first form of globalization as an industry that we had was slavery yeah mm -hmm. and where did that come from right here in this uk yeah and then other European countries saw it and was like, you know what? I see what you did. <laughs> and I raised you. <laughs> like, I think we could do this little racism thing. We can take this slavery thing and we can take it one step better. And the only difference between England and most other countries is that France, Germany, Dutch people, they still went and lived in the colonies that they were being racist to or the colonization's different settlements was English people stayed their ass at home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when it was over, they were like, oh, 
What happened over there? No, I can't see. Too far. <laughs> too far for me to see. Uh, but the, with Germany, it's one of those things where every other European country is taught that Germany handled their racism better than every other place in the world. So now mm. we're at a point where they've handled it good for a while, but you forgot, yeah? And you didn't keep up the same standards, and you didn't keep up the same knowledge, and you didn't teach the new people the same history that you were teaching when we were in the 80s and 90s, because it's gone. The Berlin Wall is gone, yeah? We're in a different generation now, and what has been passed on? Because it seems like it hasn't been what necessary. I mean, the thing I find craziest about how Germans, some Germans are very anti-refugees, uh, is that they're, right now in our age group, there are German refugees living in Germany. So when I, what do I mean when I say German refugees? I mean, when the Berlin Wall came down, when the Soviet Union fell, there's, there, there's a German term for them called Spätaussiedler, but basically you had ethnic Germans in uh, the former uh, Soviet republics, um, ethnic Germans in Eastern Europe who became refugees and came to Germany. And I'm friends with someone from that community. And he talks about how he showed up German, speaking German, but with a different accent, but still speaking German because he was an ethnic German, but he was a refugee in the country. And he talks about how he was beaten up by other Germans in this country because he was weird, because he was different. So when I say there's a generation of German refugees living in this country, I mean, it, you have to mention, it would be like a, a generation of British people who had to flee back to the UK at the late 80s, early 90s. But then everyone just forgets that that happened, you know? So this concept of anyone can be a refugee applies to these people as well. But, but, they just... but isn't that the thing when we hold, because you hold whiteness above being any other thing? Because it's whiteness is not about a specific nationality. It's just about having white the the privilege of being white. So yeah. they will take it away from the. It, it's used politically so that they can ensure that people of a lower class system don't really attain any other real power because all they really have is their whiteness. And that's how I look at it now, because especially with all this Brexit crap, yeah, because I've got links to Manchester, I've got links to Leeds, I've got links to Ipswich, and I see outside of this nice little pocket of London, this nice cosmopolitan, but still racist London, and you go to Manchester and you see the Asian communities, the black communities, the white communities separated continuously not ming mingling in any way shape or form you see a white community that has been left behind by people in london so it's not economically viable all the jobs are going down the hill anytime there is a new job or something opens up it's like in a sports direct factory where it's zero hour contracts and they, if they take one day off sick they're gonna lose their job and they get angry because all you've told them is that those immigrants over there they are the source of your problems, yeah, right? And they're looking for someone to blame, but they're not actually thinking, oh, do you know what? All them people in power in London, they're white. They're middle class, upper middle class. <laughs> they, just, they just left you behind. Right? 
and all they talk, and every time it, it's one of the things where we're debating where someone in parliament or some leader, Boris Johnson, what the fuck, has done something wrong, he skips that. And then he'll start speaking like, like recently, they had a thing where they fucked up the education system with the exam results over here. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'll pay attention to what y'all be doing over there. I know all. <laughs> so, but you notice that he was on holiday at the time, yeah? So the first thing he came back and said was not about anybody's child and them not getting the grades that they guess should have get, or any white person from a lower middle class background that was actually smart and educated that could use their education to raise themselves into a better position. No, 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 because the computer said no, because it said you are from here, <laughs> so, so this is the grades that I'm going to give you, so you stay where you is, yeah? And then two weeks later, First thing that comes out of his mouth is about how we shouldn't take away old man's land's mind, some stupid song from the proms, because everyone was saying how racist it was, because it says Britain will never, never be Royal Britannia, that's it. It was mm-hmm. he was so he's there saying how oh you shouldn't be mother cuddles and be soft about you not thinking about Royal Britannia. You're not saying anything about these children and their education, but you want to come on here and tell everybody that we must get behind the song. What the fuck is getting behind the song doing for people? Like, come on, man. Anyway, that's, that's just more distracting, more distracting. More always distracting. distracting, man. Always. Okay. So that being said, you're queer, you're black. You also changed careers as well, because I knew lawyer Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <Very active. laughs> and how is it now to be Joe the comedian, Joe the writer, Joe the creative? So that was a big change. And um, that's why, you know, I, being an immigrant is a very strong um, identity for me because, so when I was an immigrant in the UK, I was the so-called good immigrant because I was working at a corporate law firm, um, so-called desirable immigrant. Um, but then when I moved to Berlin, um, I was not able to continue working as a lawyer um, because my qualifications weren't recognized and because I wanted to shift my focus. So then I did that thing that immigrants always do in every country they show up in. I started doing my own things. I said, okay, you gatekeeper don't want to let me continue practicing this thing that I spent years learning and years becoming an expert at. That's cool. I have a variety of other skills that I'll put to my use. So I started writing. I was writing in English and in German as a freelance writer. Um, And then, yeah, I just kind of started doing comedy, which was fun because uh, I was doing it in English. And uh, a lot of the other immigrants here who like to call themselves expats uh, because they haven't learned the language yet. So they don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That is that word, came out fast, right? That word there, yeah, expat is the most stupid <laughs> thing in the world. It's like, Ooh, it's immigrant, not an immigrant. Yeah, what is it? The expats, the expats, because they don't need to learn the language. They don't need to learn the language. They just speak slower and louder. Slower and yeah? <laughs> no company sent them to live over here. They showed up just like, you got on the same easy jet flight, boom. You got on the same easy jet flight as me flying into Berlin Schoenefeld. You took the, the subway, the metro for one euro 50, okay? No one picked you up. No one drove you to some house. You struggling to find a place to live just like everybody else. 
And because you don't speak the language, you go and do everything in your language, just like immigrants everywhere. You're not an expat. You're an immigrant. You immigrant. Yeah, tell it to them. Immigrant yeah. <laughs> country, looking for work and to better yourself, just like every immigrant everywhere. But it's the fact that if someone comes to the UK and within two weeks hasn't learned basic English, they are all over the person, yeah? Chatting, snarling, rolling their eyes, talking really loudly in the person's face like they can understand. Yeah, I'm yet to see one of these fuckers, yeah? Go to Spain, go to Berlin, go to wherever, yeah? And by the end of the six weeks holiday for their children, yeah, learn enough to actually go into a shop and order basic food, yeah? We, you had Duolingo at home before you even got on that easy jet flight. What the fuck? Yeah? yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> That's the, you know, and I see because, uh, yeah, I call it the English speaking immigrant community in Berlin. It's very much like the Turkish speaking immigrant community, very much like the Korean speaking immigrant community. Um, when you're shut off from, jobs or employment you have to create your own networks and your own resources and that's what we've done in the english-speaking immigrant community you know we have our own cultural centers um and so that's how i started doing comedy because there was a bunch of people here who wanted to see comedy live comedy stand-up comedy in english i started doing it i had a few stories to tell um mostly about my chihuahua <laughs> but also how my black body is treated differently in the society, right? So I could give you both. I can keep it kind of like funny, ha ha ha, but also like, oh yeah, no, really, like this is this is what your racism does. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was able to do that, and that is why I was able to say uh, it all came together um, in response to George Floyd's murder because then I was able to have the legal background of what was happening to talk about what's happening in the states. I was able to have the I was able to talk about what's happening here in Germany, and then I was able to, you know, bring the performance to it to do public speaking. So I left law, or so I thought, um, just to get here and do a bunch of Know Your Rights campaigns and okay. trying to uh, fight for civil rights. So I, I, kept, I kept the law, but I'm not practicing law. Cool. So also, with you, so I know a bit of your family history and in the fact that when you talk about knowing your rights, I know there was a particular incident with a nephew of yours, yeah, which is one of the reasons why we started speaking on more of a personal level, because it was affecting mm -hmm. you, yeah. So, and that reflects back a lot with what's happening in this current state with how black people are treated. So I don't know if you want to tell the story no, or not. No, I do. I want to thank you for being there um, with me in that. Uh, when that wasn't happening because I needed people I could talk to who understood what was going on. Um, so for all the listeners, um, I'm from New York. My family who still lives in New York um, had that experience that I think if you have any black people who are close to you, um, these can be children, brother, sister, aunt, uncle. If there's any black person, especially black males who are close to you, everyone has had this fear. Um, and it was a particular fear of a black mother, my aunt, that when her son didn't come home, um, he, was, he was sent out for a quick errand. When he didn't come home um, after an hour, she knew something was wrong. 
she went out on the streets looking for him and then she just had that hunch she saw a police car and she said oh the police have him she just knew she just knew she just knew that her 16 year old son who had been sent out for an errand that when he didn't come home at night she knew he'd been kidnapped by the police and for people who come from other countries uh, where people routinely get kidnapped, this is exactly what it felt like for us, except no one even asked for a ransom. So they took him and I couldn't understand that the laws worked this way at the time, which is why I was doing corporate law and I had to switch to doing um, more civil rights law because when my family needed me, I didn't have the answers. Um, I didn't know at the time that New York was allowed to arrest 16 year olds and treat them like adults. So they take this 16 year old kid and don't even have the courtesy to call his mother and let them know where he is. Cool, that's so what, that, that, you need to say that again. Yeah, so people yeah. That, you realize just what you said. Yeah. yeah, so 16 year old child was arrested on the street and spoiler alert, he didn't do anything. Six, so a 16 year old innocent child was arrested on the street and the police didn't even call his mother to let her know where her child was. They just threw him into a jail cell with adults and kept him there for 36 hours before we could get him out. Uh, All that is happening in New York while I'm in London trying to be lawyer Joe for my clients, for my law firm, but Human Joe is suffering because this is happening to my family and I don't understand how the police are allowed to do this. I watched Law and Order. That's how I got a law degree. I watched Law and Order and <laughs> they arrest you, they tell you little rights, you know, if you're a child, they call the, no, it doesn't happen that way. Okay. It doesn't happen that way. And I didn't know that specifically in New York, they've since changed the law. But at the time, 16-year-old kids, 17-year-old kids getting arrested, treated like adults automatically. So what was the law that they said he broke? They claimed that with three other people, he used a gun to steal someone's cell phone and $10. An iPhone and $10. Okay, so who were these three other people? Never identified, never, no, he wasn't arrested with any group of people. He was alone walking to the street, but they still said that he with three other people stole, they didn't find a gun on him. They, didn't, they, they found his phone on him. They didn't find any, they found his, his money on him, but that was enough to say that what he was arrested with was what had been stolen from someone else. Okay, so let's his start. own phone and his own money. His own phone, his own money, yeah, right? No other person, even though it was meant to be a group of three, right? Did yeah. the clothes match the description? Was there a description of what they did? There was no description. Here's what they did. So, um, because I ultimately had to fly over and like look at all the records. So there was, and I, because I never really believed that someone had been robbed, but I was able to, that person does exist. Okay. Um, so someone, did in fact get robbed in that neighborhood. Um, and so what the police did, the great job they did was they took this person who had just been robbed and traumatized at night. So the robbery occurred around 9 p.m. at night in October in New York, it was dark. This person who has just been traumatized is put in a police car and driven around the neighborhood and they said, pick one. So he's inside a police car driving around the streets at it, night. Because it doesn't matter to them which one it is. Anyone. 
Hey, just anyone. Pick one. Anyone. Anyone will do. So this traumatized person from the back of a police car is driving around at night and claims to identify my nephew as one of the four people who robbed him. Okay. So that person, but that person was traumatized and in no capacity to identify anyone because I, he identifies my 16-year-old nephew okay. who then gets, he gets traumatized by being thrown in jail. Meanwhile, they never actually catch the, the people who did it. Okay. So how long was your nephew in jail before anyone from your family was made aware or contacted the police or got to see him or anything? Uh, so he was arrested, I think, I believe it was like 9.30. When he didn't show back up at home at 10 o'clock, his mama was out on the streets looking for him. I think, so it was like before midnight of that night when she realized, oh, the police must have him, goes to the police precinct. They won't let her see him. They won't let her talk to him. That blew my mind as well. So she knows he's in jail, but we have no way of talking to him. We have no way of getting anything to him. So he has to spend that night in jail. Then the next day, we're trying to get a lawyer to him. We managed to get a lawyer to him. Um, and fortunately, a retired judge, a black judge, a uh, retired judge who offered to represent Malik for free because the moment he saw him, he knew he was innocent. Oh, sorry, I forgot another part of the story. <laughs> Why did I start doing journalism when I left the law firm? Oh, it's because during this time when my nephew has been arrested and is being held in jail for a crime he didn't commit, the local newspaper in Staten Island is printing his name and saying he did it. Teen nabbed, armed robber, Malik so-and-so, such-and-such address. So that's also happening. So I'm on the phone with my aunt while she's reading these articles, because I think they published two or three articles naming my nephew in connection with a crime he didn't commit, a 16-year-old child. Okay, Because that was also happening. Cool. So first of all, that doesn't happen by accident. So clearly the police gave them the information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they, do you think they gave them the information as a standard practice or because they already knew that they had made a mistake in arresting your nephew and they wanted to just create havoc around it so it looked like they were doing a job i think so two things so it's definitely standard practice um in some communities for the police officers to be sharing reports of any crime with local newspapers when i say some communities i say poor or low income communities because this does not happen in the suburbs and whether the police knew they made a mistake or not that's hard to say what we know about the New York Police Department and probably police in other places that I'm not as familiar with. What we know is what does stop and frisk come from? I, I, you have a British term for, I can't remember, stop and search maybe. Yeah. What does it come from? It, let's just arrest people. Let's just, they'll, they'll probably have something on them. If they don't have something on them, they probably have some outstanding warrant. Something will stick. So there's this practice of just, that's what anyone will do. Just arrest this one use something against this person, intimidate this person, get them to confess to something because they're afraid of the consequences if they don't. And that's good enough. That, that is police work in many cases. It's not actually proving the crime, it's just finding someone you can blame something on, anything. Is it because, because then that's they can so. just then say that they've made an arrest for, and get a number down on the tally sheet? Or is it because they want 
black people to be registered in the system so that if for any reason you do something else later, this will come up. Can I tell you, let me just take you back a few years. I think I was in first grade, first or second grade in the Bronx. We took a field trip to the local police station to see how police officers work. <laughs> and on this field trip with first or second graders from my block Bronx classroom, I, one of the things they showed us was how to take fingerprints because they took our fingerprints. <laughs> oh. I was six. Our field trip to the police station was to learn how to take our fingerprints. So basically, they would have your name and your fingerprints on file, and it would have you yeah. already. It's there. Just in the system. I don't know what they've done with these records, but as a six year old, my fingerprints were taken. Of course, my, no one in my family knew this was going to happen. No. Right? But yeah, but what the police are doing is it's all of it. So it's, it's the extra police presence in lower income neighborhoods, which tend to be minority neighborhoods. Um, and so my aunt, uh, she just started doing like a cop watch in her neighborhood after this incident because she just had to show the incidents of, you know, the police. And it's when you have this police presence in your neighborhood, it's not just if you yourself are arrested. It's they're parked outside her house, their lights are on, they're flashing the sirens. So she's got videos from like two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. She can't sleep. It's really like this invading army just constantly stationed there to let you know they're policing you. Mm -hmm. um, that a crime had been committed against us, never really interested anyone. <laughs> that they themselves had committed the crime by kidnapping this child unlawfully imprisoning him when we did sue didn't really matter much because they didn't beat him up they didn't beat him up so he was fine what's the problem they didn't beat him up you're you got lucky why are you, you he's alive stop complaining <sighs> oh god when the boy said so low that you survived in an incident as a 16 year old boy and the very fact that you're not treated as a minor that you're in jail, you, don't, you have no contact with your family, you haven't been told by your rights or have been given the opportunity to hire a lawyer to defend yourself, and you're just there in a system by yourself. So that you're, I guess in the idea is that the longer they, that they keep you, the more likely you are to give up what you know to be true and just confess to anything so that they will, say that you can you confessed and they can lock you up exactly and i wanna i can't tell this story without mentioning the name khalif browder um and uh for people who may not be familiar with khalif browder khalif browder was a 17 year old arrested in new york um he was accused of stealing a backpack i forget how much value this backpack was supposed to be um but khalif browder is a 17 year old who was arrested um unfortunately um was not able to see a lawyer. He was not able to get out. Um, when I say that Khalif Browder was held in jail, I mean that he was also, for parts of his uh, incarceration, he was held in solitary confinement. And I don't have the exact number in my head right now, but I think it's something like a year, if not longer. So a 17-year-old kid was arrested for a crime he didn't commit either, but got lost in the system. 
and kept in jail, parts of it in solitary confinement for up to, if not more than a year. And um, the reason we know his name, unfortunately, is because before he reached his 22nd birthday, even though he was released, that experience traumatized him so much that he ultimately committed suicide. Um, a short time after that, his mother, um, Verica Browder, I want to say her name is, um, Benita Browder, um, she was so devastated by losing her son that she herself died of a heart attack. Um, what's the connection? My family lived in Staten Island. Um, Staten Island is where Eric Garner was strangled to death in broad daylight on the street. The officer who arrested him was uh, never arrested. Um, the person who filmed the video, he was arrested. Um, Ramsey, I think, he was arrested. He's had issues with the police, um, but it goes much further than that. So um, Eric Garner, who was strangled and killed, um, a few years after that, his young daughter, Erica Garner dies. I mentioned these names to say that when my family was going through this, Khalif Browder and everyone who affected around him who also died, Eric Garner, everyone around him who also died. I was terrified that this could be my family. Okay. Because this is the thing with that a lot of white people don't understand is that it's not just that we're seeing the images of people that look like us, is that within our communities, we've already been told stories that you don't know, yeah, that don't make it to the media. Yeah, that don't permeate outside of the community about what can happen when things go wrong and that when it does go wrong, there's nothing you can do because no one, no one gets put on trial, no one is made accountable, it's just, yeah, they're there, you're set free now, go, go live your life, no one cares about the trauma that you've had, like, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Anyway, no, keep going. So, you got a, you got your nephew a lawyer? Yes. So yes. So uh, represented pro bono. So is a retired judge, um, uh, Judge Greg. Uh, shout out to Judge Greg. Thank you so much. Uh, he really saved us um, because the police never had any evidence, and even this. Uh, the, all they had was this witness ID from the back of a police car at night. But even the witness, I think once they were no longer in the immediate trauma of that night, realized, stopped participating. <laughs> so I flew over twice. I flew over from London to New York in November and again in January, because whenever they were bringing Malik to court, he was not going to court alone. Okay. Um, and that's in the entire time this happening, my family knew we, we tried to believe this happened to Malik because Malik had people around him who could help him get through it. Because, you know, why did the, we just, our, our faith just tried to let us know this was happening to us because we can bear this yeah. and we can work on this. Because, you know, when we were there for Malik, but there were many other kids or even young people, it doesn't matter how old they were, who didn't have their families there to support them, right? So they're going through alone. So we didn't want Malik to be experiencing this alone. Um, but the prosecutors, and this is the thing that also threw me off. Once the prosecutors knew that the witness, the victim, was no longer participating, they could have dismissed the charges against Malik. But as we later suspect, we can't prove this, the prosecutors don't want to make the police look bad. 
No. So even when the police bring them a case that prosecutors cannot win because there is no evidence, there is no witness ID, there is nothing, prosecutors just let the course, let the, let the case take its course, which meant that instead of just having it dismissed and us allowed to go on with our lives, we had to, all right, well, we have the next court date. And all this is the system. It's getting people used to not having control. Right. So instead of the 16 year old kid focusing on school, he's focusing on this court case. He's getting used to being summoned to court, having to show up, having to defend himself, not being able to say anything, just having to be there and then dismissed and nothing changes. So after two rounds of that, um, the judge had to dismiss the case because the prosecutors had nothing, could bring nothing. So that was the criminal case that was dismissed. But this newspaper that had reported his name, even when we went back to them, they were like, well, you deal with getting, getting it removed from Google. You deal with it. what? So they didn't just publish, publish an apology, yeah, straight up. No, no apology. No, no apology. No they, apology. They didn't admit, admit to any fault whatsoever. They were just reporting what the police had told them. And we later found out there's a law that allows them to do that. They don't have to do any investigation. So you would think a journalist is going to investigate the journalist's investigation. What happened in like going back and making sure that you look at your sources and making sure that what you publish is the truth and a journalistic integrity. All the Staten Island advance owned by the people who own Condé Nast. So this is how you gotta look at the big picture. This isn't just some little random unprofessional newspaper somewhere in the middle of nowhere. This is a newspaper owned by the family of billionaires that also owns Condé Nast. Mm -hmm. So your Vogue, that family. Okay, cool. So we need to also point out this is the same family that at one, one hand is appointed a black editor of Vogue in the UK, yeah? But at the same time, is still part of a system that puts young black boys' names in papers falsely and doesn't even bother to do a check, doesn't even bother to retract it afterwards, doesn't even bother to publish an apology. Why? Because they know that they're rich enough to get away with it. Exactly, the Newhouse family. So, and what the thing with, the problem with the states is there's no law that says you can't publish the name of a child. There's supposed to be journalistic ethics that say you shouldn't publish the name of a child, you shouldn't publish the name of someone who's been the victim of a sexual assault. Um, and most newspapers follow these journalistic ethics. Um, but if you really want to know like how rich a neighborhood is, just look at the local newspaper and how they report on crimes. I looked at newspapers from the suburbs of New York. Teenagers commit crimes there too. It gets into the newspapers. They say an unidentified 16-year-old was arrested for this. An unidentified 17-year-old. Is that because but, they're fearing being sued afterwards? Because if it's a poor black neighborhood, they're thinking, nah, you won't have the money to sue us. We can just publish what I like, and you're just going to sit there. And what can you do? Shout into the wind. I can give, this, this story has some, some happy endings that wouldn't be expected. So we sued, we sued. We didn't, we didn't win our lawsuit against the newspaper because they were able to say, look, the law allows us to just report what the government says. We don't have to do any more investigating. So because of that, they got off. But I have been keeping tabs on the Staten Island advance 
And I was very happy to see as of May, they now do the same. They say an unidentified so-and-so. Somehow, someone, somewhere got through to them that maybe this was a bad idea. And can I say it was my family in our lawsuit that did it? I'm going to. <laughs> because they've never been held accountable. Okay. They've never been held accountable. And that's the difference. If you, if you live in a rich neighborhood, a majority white neighborhood, they know someone's father is a doctor, someone's mother is a politician or counselor. Someone is going to make some phone call that's going to make something for them difficult. Okay. So that is why from, the, from how policing occurs to how it's reported to how people are treated, hello, so-and-so, we have your, it's just very different than in our neighborhood where, um, yeah, this was not my family's first interaction with the police. Um, because they live in a neighborhood where stop and frisk, even though illegal, even though unconstitutional, is still happening. Well, you know, over in England, especially in London, since we've had the lockdown here, you know, stop and search here among young black people has gone up 40%. Uh, stop. Don Butler, I believe. <laughs> yes. I she's a member of parliament she's getting stopped she's getting stopped yeah we had an athlete the other day got stopped and it's like the worst what's the worst thing about it for me i always say to people and it's one of these things now that certain people are more conscious about how black people are treated so every time something happens they're like oh my god i didn't realize that happened oh my god and i'm like stop and search stop and frisk is like a black mitzvah. every single black person goes through it as a rite of passage yeah whether we get out of it with our skin intact whether we get out of it alive whether we get out of it without being traumatized that's another thing but we all go through it at some point yeah even when it's just just a little you're walking down the street to get a newspaper and the police car comes unnecessarily and winds down the window and you can already see that there's a conversation between the two officers whether it's worth them stopping you because just maybe you might have something on you i, I always tell people this is why i dress in color and never in black or navy when i'm walking down the street so that when they come up to me and say that we've had someone matching your description i say Really? My description in my day glow neon leggings, yeah, and my bright red hoodie, yeah? Mm -hmm. Or was it just because I'm black? Yeah. And you, then you have to move the conversation on. But it's still, it's never, it's not getting any better. It's only getting worse. And it's only getting worse because we're in a political climate where every time they mention anything to do with crime, it's always with an ethnic spin on everything yeah mm -hmm. we talk about drugs we talk about drugs in the black community we talk about mexicans at the border we don't talk about the fact that white children are walking around these streets smoking weed out of the streets to the, the, the puff of like is smoking everywhere and no one is doing anything about it we don't talk about the fact that white kids are taking ease and pills and oh who's who's the ones having the illegal raids at the moment because it's showing black folk yeah <laughs> we are inside lockdown because we see the figures of what happens to black people and it's also you've seen the figures of what happens to black people and that's the reason why you're not wearing masks you're not locking down you're not taking the same precautions as we are so do you know what 
Andy, Peter, Karen, we're going to walk on the other side of the street. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're going to keep that and say, yeah, we're going to keep safe and warm. Okay, I have one last question. Thank you for telling that story. Yeah, this one, I, I know it's, when it comes to your family, it's, I saw how much trauma and pain your family went through just by how you were talking about it. Yeah, and to have someone on here that can actually speak to the experience of dealing with the police force and what it's like to deal with the police force as a black person, yeah, and the difference in how you get treated as a black person to how you get treated as a white person, I thought the story was important. Yeah. yeah. So my last thing, oh hello, Will. Uh, I have a what if question. Okay. If Trump loses, would you go back to live in America? I would go back to live in America even if Trump stays in that office. That being said, do you think that Trump will stay in the office? Uh, so that's why you know, I didn't say win or lose because this man did not win the popular vote the last time. He lost okay. by 3 million votes. He was only installed because of the Electoral College. Um, I think uh, there's numbers, the Republicans, cannot win majorities. Um, but no, I really, so the story we were talking about with my family, it really changed the focus of my life. And I've been trying to do things here in Berlin that I thought were in the service of justice and service. Um, but I'm really saying that, you know, I'm a US lawyer. Um, there's only so much I can do over here if people don't let me practice law. Um, and yeah, I'm really at the point where this first term was bad enough um i can see myself moving back to the states just for the just for moving back no matter who's in that office because okay. the thing, even if it's not trump those problems are still there you know trump is about to appoint his third supreme court justice <laughs> i was reading you know it's because of lifetime appointments you have some presidents jimmy carter appointed no one um trump gets to appoint in four years in office three supreme court justices that's never happened before well, isn't that a result of the system itself in that the fact that you, their lifetime appointments and because of the age of the people that were there, like it was going to happen kind of over this term or next term that you lose quite a lot of them. We just so happened to have the great white hype and his ginger self. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so, but from... Ruth's death, I don't think people realise how the Supreme Court was at a balancing point, a tipping point, and him appointing another Conservative judge yeah. means that all bets are off. Done. It's done. The Supreme Court is the one who made George Bush president in the first place, George W. Bush. So Bush v. Gore. Yeah. That had never in U.S. history before. The Supreme Court said, we're just going to stop counting those pesky votes. Bush, you, you, you do this. You're good. So that's what their, that's what their uh, insurance policy is. Eh, no matter how this voting thing happens, if we have the people we need on the Supreme Court, we can do this again. Well, so It's the fact that we've already seen them trying to hinder votes. We're in a pandemic, we need a, you need a post office service that works well because people are going to have to register and vote by post. You've already had this dismantling of post office machines so that it can collect 
the collections. He's not giving any funding to the post service so it can run to a particular structure and deliver to the service that it needs to. He's actually defunded most of it. He won't defund the police, but he'll defund the post office so that he can get back into office. And it's just, I, I, I despair. Uh, it's so much that's what i'm saying so it's it's not it's so much worse than that so i vote in new york um i was i was very happy to see on friday my ballot was emailed to me i did everything to download it i went through all the steps i've tried four different times can't download that ballot i don't know why it's it's sent to me it's i do everything put in all my information can't download it i've always had problems voting in the u.s yeah. um i there's so many problems with this. I should say, Trump, we need to get out of office, but the problems in my country go so much deeper and have been made so much worse by him being in that office that whether he goes, whether he stays, the damage is still there. And yeah, I can, I'm, I'm gearing up to see if moving back to the States is the thing I actually need to do at this point in my life. Um, I just happy you feel about that. I feel especially like that, being an immigrant abroad and being limited in what I could do despite my qualifications, I know that if I go back to the States, I can plug right back in, Okay, you know? Um, I've got my loft so to sue the city for my nephew. I founded a law firm, right? So I can do things with that. Because um, you're not going to stand in my way. <laughs> you know, we're going to do what we need to do. But no, I, I, I'm really hopeful that Trump is taken out of office in November. Um, but I know that there's just so much more to do. And I think people's focus on Trump is rightfully placed, but uh, we shouldn't lose sight of everyone who enabled him. That entire Senate that enabled him. All those Congress people, all those judges, all those, anyone working, um, you know, doing deportations, anyone with uh, taking kids away from their families. That's not just Trump. It starts with Trump, but then goes all the way through the See, system. I don't even think it starts with Trump, yeah? Because if it started with him, how could I put it? He is the end product mm -hmm. of a long, long, long yeah. chain, right? Yeah. And it's not started with him. It's just that he is the most visible representation of racism that you've had in a long while. And when he appeared, I remember telling you, and you said the same thing, I was just like, they keep on calling him a joke, yeah? They keep on thinking, I don't find this man funny, yeah? Because to me, it's the same thing that they said when Hitler turned up. Here is this funny man with his weird haircut, with his different views, and he's looking, at, looking after one particular category or only having one speech and who is he talking to because good people don't do this good people don't do that good people don't do this good people don't do that well actually what he was saying was these neglected minority of a majority i will represent them and i will do that by blaming everyone else yeah for their problems yeah, he, <laughs> he showed you who exactly he was. And you're like, oh yeah, he just speaks his mind, but what he speaks is racism. And you don't seem to have a problem with it because deep down inside, you know that you will still benefit from him being in office because you're white. Yeah, yeah. And you can yeah. close your door 
and you can poo poo out in the streets and you can sit around your dinner parties and say how bad it is that this is the American representative but it's only now yeah that we have COVID and he's killing all of you white black Latino doesn't matter because he's not putting the policies in place to stop the pandemic that you're really seeing how dangerous he is but he's been dangerous for people that are ethnic minorities since he appeared, like, and, and that's what we really see, yeah, with this new Supreme Court uh, appointment. You know, Mitt Romney was, oh, Trump is terrible. Trump can't be trusted. Oh, but he fell right in line mm -hmm. to vote. He's going to fall right in line to vote for that justice. So that's why, I mean, the Republican Party can't be redeemed. Democratic Party, you know, I'm on, on the left of the Democratic Party. We're trying to move that in the right direction. I am happy to vote for George, Joe Biden. I am happy to vote for Kamala Harris. Um, I am enthusiastically going to vote for the both of them. I don't think we have the time anymore to have any questions about who the, they are the Democratic front runner candidates, so we vote for them. Hey, well, okay. Well, this is the one problem that I have with Black America at the moment is that Jesus is not going to come off his mouth to come and save you, yeah? He has told you already, these are the people, yeah? Right, if you want a change, you vote for them. Stop, I, every time I have a conversation with most black Americans, especially on Twitter and on social media, I keep on getting this thing where, oh, this person did this, oh, this person did this, oh, this person did this. Maybe it's because I'm English and I, as a base level, I don't trust any politician. Yeah. whatsoever because whatever their political leanings are there's always going to be something in their history that you don't agree with yeah and uh, what to me is is that if you think that the person is doing overall the person is doing the work for the benefit of the country and for benefit for you as a particular individual over the other person that you vote for them yeah because there is no perfect politician and it is no messiah that is going to come and save your ass yeah you do it for yourself yeah and that voting so it's voting is important but then you have to stay on them right so and i know it's we it's hard enough getting people to show up to vote so i know that even if, if that's all people can do that is what we need you to do but what we all need to be doing we need to be staying you can call people you can email people. You can show up in people's offices. They work for you. If they're not doing what you want them to do, you tell them. And so I think what we need to understand is it has to be a constant process. You get them into office, you stay on them. You know who's constantly getting called? Um, all these Republicans, they're constantly yeah. getting called. We, we complain about these Karens. You, we complain about these Karens all the time. Yeah, but it's that current energy in them that keeps these Republicans in line. Why do you think there isn't any gun reform all the time? Because someone is on their neck telling them that if you do this, there will be a consequence to your actions. Like you have a system where you don't have any healthcare. You don't have a national healthcare service. No. They're taking away women's rights to abort. Yeah, they take, they're diminishing queer rights, left, right and centre. Trans people can't even go into a toilet yeah without someone staring them up and down like it has to be what is the worst possible situation that you can be in yeah because you're in that now and it can only get worse yeah, yeah? when this man when the, you look at your window and you're in west coast in la san francisco and you see the sky is 
orange and this man comes on TV, yeah, with his same hair color and tells you that global warming does not exist. Now, I've been to San Francisco twice. I've been to California three times. Every time I go back there, yeah, it's hotter than it was before. And every time yeah. I go back there, there's more fires. The last time we went to Oakland, we couldn't go to the Golden Gate Bridge. Why? Because you couldn't see the Golden Gate Bridge for all the smoke because of all the fires, the air pollution, yeah? And we were there for 10 days. And in those 10 days, at no point was the air clearing us for go, us to go anywhere near our little excursion that we had planned, yeah? And this is your life. Like, yeah. come on, people, sort it out. I'm so Friends in Washington, D.C., on the exact other side of the continent of North America. Friend, he posted a thing. There was smog. It was hazy in Washington, D.C., and the weather service said, oh, no, this is just the ash from the West Coast has reached us. No, no, no. Yeah, I believe. Because remember in London, when the volcano happened somewhere mm -hmm. in Europe, yeah, and within a week, the whole of London was smoggy, but at least a week afterwards, you couldn't fly for two days, yep. yeah? Yep. Every good thing got cancelled. You, your, the continent is weeping, yeah? It's, <laughs> the, the ground <laughs> itself is saying, please get rid of this motherfucker, yeah? Yes. You didn't need any other reason. If it was just a global pandemic by itself, yeah? Then, but no, it's just to reinforce the fact that God or nature, whatever you want to call it, is just saying, ah, 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 ah. Yeah, you need to do something now. Yeah? It's, yeah, it's so random. Anyway. Right. So, are you doing any gigs? Internet-wise, live-wise, so people can see you? Where can they get your writings from? Because I, I see your writing on the internet, but I mostly see it in German. So when yeah. you... Right. So we're just, so um so yeah so I didn't even daddy <laughs> so uh, yeah so lawyer comedian but also a writer and publisher um so when I moved to Berlin one of the magazines I started writing for Daddy Magazine um was like an online magazine but then uh, this past June um, I got together with the founder of that magazine we became business partners. We founded a media company, Daddy Media, um, and we are going to be publishing the first print issue of Daddy Magazine that's coming out in November. So I haven't been doing gigs so much. Um, all my energy has been pouring into that because we're going to have a, a black, black-owned company. We're having the first print issue of a magazine where people talk about various aspects of their identities, um, their own stories. So yes, that's that's coming out in November, and we're going to start the crowdfunding um, for that so people can pre-order, um, I think, in a few weeks. Cool. So when the crowdfunding comes out, obviously, you're going to get, get me a link so I can put it up on the Instagram page. Yeah, because everybody, once everybody hears you and sees you now, they're all going to want to support you. Yeah? Right. So, thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Hutch. Yeah. Yeah, thank um, you. What's the talk? Like, I didn't come out well, here. Old and asleep. Old and asleep. <laughs> I can try to get him, but he's he's looking at me like hey, if he's sleeping. I know the dog's like, leave me the fuck alone. Who do you think you're talking to? Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> you do you. Leave me alone. Okay. Well, it's really nice to talk to you again. Yeah. Okay.
Thank okay. you very much for doing it. Um, I'll sign off. And then what I'll do, actually, no, before I sign off, so I can edit in later, can you tell the people where to find you, like all your different social media and stuff? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so my name is Jovan Hutch. I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Jovan Hutch. That's J-O-E-B-O-N-H-U-T-C-H. And um, Daddy Magazine can be found at www.daddy.land or on Instagram at daddy.berlin. Joe Von Hutch, everybody. Black businessman, diva extraordinaire. Someone that is just doing it in so many different lanes and levels and someone that I'm truly proud to call a friend. Um, did you notice how black I am? Just how deep down inside black I am that I made sure that even though Joe is in Berlin that I asked for my free t-shirt. Yep, I'm about that life. Speaking of about that life, can we be about the life of sharing the Front Room podcast? Can we be about the life of giving me some stars? I am not a bitch that likes to accessorise, yeah? Other than a latex mask here and there and maybe... Some elbow length gloves. But I would really, really, really like some stars. I would like some stars for my podcast. I would like you to subscribe and save and subscribe and share. We'll be back next week for a full episode. And there will also be a small episode coming to you sometime on the weekend. Maybe a flattening the curve. Maybe this is why I'm single. Who knows? It's whatever life throws up at me. In the meantime, subscribe and save. And also, you can find me at the following. The Front Room Podcast on Instagram. 140% Fitness on Instagram. Seb Ed PT. That's Seb Ed PT at Twitter. And of course, the front room podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And remember, we'll see you, you'll hear me, same time next week. Peace and love.